on that last song, right, this is the last one, Chris got kind of high, and I was trying to follow him, started coughing. It went beyond my ability there, but uh, I'm telling you. But I appreciate you all singing out the way you do. I appreciate it so very much. Rather than the title of the lessons, then I am strong, and the question mark there, because it doesn't seem right. When you're weak, you're strong. We're going to look at some things that seem redundant or, or not, you know, the way it is in the world. And our text is going to be from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. If you'll follow along with me, it's going to be the main uh, thing we're going to be talking about. Now, be some scripture we're going to add to that. But um, Paul is defending his apostleship. There are some that say that he's a false apostle. There, there's another, another group that were saying that he was like, tended to be like a super apostle and things of that nature. And both of those are wrong. And he's having to defend his apostleship and give his credentials. He doesn't want to do it. He says that. But he has to. And, and, and so this is what he says about that in defending that. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a man was called up to the third heaven. My version says paradise. Um, <clears throat> and I know such a man, whether in the body, apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. He, he, brethren, he, he's talking here about it, 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 he didn't know if it was just a vision that God gave him or, or whether he literally was taken physically up to, as he says, paradise to the third heaven, okay? Was caught up in a paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Man, what, I, that makes me wonder what he heard. You know it? He couldn't come back to earth and talk about it. He said, on behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. And you're going to see why in just a minute. For, for if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But if I refrain, but I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me. He says it twice: to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me or be taken away from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And so, because of this answer he receives, he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties. Now, now note this, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of us are content with our weaknesses? How many of us are content when people insult us and, or we're distressed or we're persecuted? This, this thing just doesn't seem to make, from a human standpoint, this doesn't seem to make sense, does it? And I kind of feel about this section of Scripture the way that uh, Chad talked about, you know, last Sunday evening about preaching on Job. And it's kind of like, it's easy to get to believe that God really treated Job unfair, right? And, and, I mean, here's a faithful servant who God says is the most faithful man on the face of the earth, the most righteous man, and he, and, and he allows the devil to have his way with him simply on a bet. It just doesn't seem right and just. And then you see this. Paul, brothers and sisters, when you see... All of the things that he had to go through for Christ's sake. 
I mean, you know, he gives lists sometimes, the, the persecutions and the shipwrecks and the beatings and the stonings and the throwing in prison and the, having to leave one city because they were running him out of town to kill him. And just this constantly, his life was threatened. And, and so you would think he wouldn't need an additional thorn in the flesh. But he did need it, and God knows what he's doing. And so he gives him that. Paul was given that thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. He says that. Scholars disagree on what the thorn is, and a lot of people argue about that. It really doesn't matter what it was. It was exceedingly painful. We know that. But, brethren, we do also know as some that Paul's thorn was not sin. Some people say that. Paul's thorn was not a sin because God gave him that thorn, and God doesn't do that. God does not. He, sin isn't given to you by God. You choose to sin. James 1, 13 and 14 says that. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, meaning he doesn't tempt anyone to sin. God sent his son to die so he would get not sin. He doesn't, he, he's not going to tempt us to do that. But whatever the thorn was, brethren, God refused to remove the thorn. And, and uh, he would have, would have gladly helped Paul remove any sin in his life. The Bible tells us to pray for that, that God would help us to resist temptation and sin. So this isn't referring to willful sin at all. Some try to use this as an excuse to sin. They say, well, Brother Green, I know this is my sin, but this is my thorn in the flesh. No, 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 not biblically speaking, it's not. It may be a thorn to you, but not, you, you can't use this to try to do that, to try to justify that, brethren, not biblically, okay? Modern thorns, we all have some. Everybody has a thorn in the flesh or two, you know? Um, and, um, and so we, we're going to have them. I'm going to get those in just a minute. But this passage, brothers and sisters, as we get to that point, by human standards, it's all backwards, right? It doesn't make any sense at all. Paul says, because of God's grace, I, verse 9, I'll boast in my weaknesses. How many of us do that? Yeah, how many of you have ever gone to a weak man contest? You know? Hey, let's go down to the fairgrounds. They're having a weak man contest. We'll see who's the weakest. Verse 10, he, he says, I'm content with my weaknesses and insults and distresses. I don't know that I'll, <coughs> excuse me, brethren, be too content with that. He also says, verse 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you feel that way? How many of you in your weakness feel like you're strong? I want us to study this more closely, brothers and sisters, and to see the lessons we can take away from this tonight. There are modern-day thorns. The apostle Paul had his. His was given by God. Paul's problem is a common one. We all have a thorn in the flesh of some kind. Uh, it may be, brothers and sisters, recently, of course, in our congregation or those that we know and love, a loss of loved ones. There have been many people here that have lost their, their mate or their, or their son or their daughter or their husband or their wife or their you know, their, their sibling. Um, and, and so that is a thorn in the flesh for those folk right now. Various trials that we enter into, you know, or temptations or maybe a physical illness, um, indifference, lukewarmness. That, that can be a horrible thorn in the flesh. Some kind of a handicap, you know. Um, maybe anger or grudge holding or some kind of ungodly type of thing that you struggle with, brethren. Those are all any problem that you have to struggle with constantly and that you just can't seem to be able to get rid of. Uh, you know, one that just gets the best of you sometime, that, that causes you a lot of pain and frustration and heartache, you know? Uh, it, 
may be, as Paul's case, it may be a thorn from God. It may be that God has given you that thorn. But I find, brethren, just in my experience, and counseling with a lot of folk, that most of our thorns are self-induced. <laughs> we kind of bring them on ourselves. We reap what we sow in a lot of ways. And so, uh, and so uh, you know, we all have weaknesses and shortcomings, and we all lack in some area. And like Paul, many also have that thorn in the flesh. And we often view Paul, brothers and sisters, don't we? Or at least I have, especially in the past when I was a younger Christian. And I'd view Paul as some kind of a, a, a super apostle, you know. I mean, boy, he just seemed to have it all on straight. And yet he said, no, 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 I'm weak. I'm the chief of sinners, you know. And, and so he's a lot like us. He was flesh and blood as well. So what does God say to him? Paul, he says, he, pray, he prayed fervently three times that this thorn would be taken away from him. Now, brethren, we're not to suppose that he only prayed three times about this because you know good and well if you've got something that's really, really troubling you, you're going to be praying on a daily basis if not several times a day for God to come to your rescue. But Paul says there were three times where he really got down and was fervent about it and asked God to remove those thorns. And, you know, Sometimes brother, people would say to me, I've been praying for a long time about my problem, about this situation, and why won't God answer me? Well, beloved, it may be that he has answered you. It may be he's saying the same thing to us that he said to Paul, and that is, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn. I gave it to you. I gave it to you for a reason. I gave it to you for your own good, and so I'm not going to remove it. Now, to us, that seems unfair. We don't like an answer like that, you know. God, you mean, one, you're causing me to suffer, and two, you're going to let me continue in this condition? And God says to Paul, and maybe to some of us today, yes, that's exactly right. And so God could be saying to us today, brothers and sisters, the same thing that he said to Paul, and it, and it applies to all of us, my grace is sufficient for you. Think about that. In all of our problems, is God's grace sufficient? I think we live as though it's not. Is God's grace sufficient? Someone has said that when you boil it all down, is that what us human beings deserve as sinners is an eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. And anything less than that is grace. Anything less than an eternal penalty in hell is grace. So God said, my grace <clears throat> is sufficient for you. Brethren, God wants us to depend entirely on him and not on ourselves and our own abilities or talents or whatever. Our thorn will cause us to do just that. You can make it through some human effort. You know, sometimes we, we like that. We like to try to do that, right? But God said, no, <clears throat> okay, you've gotten exalted. You've gotten proud. So I'm going to give you a thorn that's going to do what? Paul says, to keep you from exalting yourself. Those thorns, brothers and sisters, are what keeps us humble or helps us remain humble. Those thorns are what make us cling tightly to the Lord, a lot tighter than we do ordinarily. 
Those thorns are what causes us to depend more on him and his power and less on ourselves and our ability. Because we just have a tendency to do that as human beings. And so our thorn may be the one thing that keeps us in a proper relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? The thing that, that, that just irritates us to death. It makes us realize that we can't make it by ourselves, brothers and sisters. It just forces that home and shows us how frail and fragile we really are. And it forces us to realize how much we need God and his love and his mercy and his grace and his sustenance and his power. When we have everything under control, when we, as we would say, we have it all together, right? We have a tendency to feel that we don't need God. Brethren, you've seen that. You've seen that. You've seen people in some kind of a struggle, and, and then for whatever reason that struggle was taken away, and all, you know, they call it, <clears throat> judges in court call it jailhouse repentance, right? I've had people come to me, boy, and beg me to help them get saved, and they were on the verge of going to jail. And, and, and so, you know, we study, we do all that. Oh, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. They're here every time the doors are open until the trial, and the judge looks upon them favorably, and they're let loose, and after the trial, guess what? You don't see them again. Now, that's happened often. We just have a tendency as humans to feel that we don't need God when things are going really well. And so we began to depend too much on ourselves, and we kind of push God aside. We want him to keep him in that closet, so to speak, in the corner, and we want to pull him out like a genie rubbing on the bottle and, until we need some help, and then as soon as he clears it up, we shove him back in the closet. And our thorns remind us we can't do that. The thorns that give you such a hard time may be the very thing that keeps you faithful to God and help save your soul in the end. So, brethren, Paul, I think, realizes that. Because Paul's, uh, was with Paul, it was pride, right? The things he saw. And he wouldn't be unique to Paul if we were the ones that went into paradise and saw that. My goodness, wouldn't you be anxious to share that? And he said, those are unspeakable. You couldn't do it. You can't do it. And so Paul said, to, he said it twice, to keep me from exalting myself. So Paul said, Paul, his, his th thing was pride. What's the Bible tell us about that? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Paul could have lost his soul by becoming so proud and by exalting himself over Jesus Christ. So knowing this, brethren, ought to make our thorns seem a little more bearable. So God says to Paul and to us, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think what God is saying here, that in his mercy and his grace, he's going to provide you everything that you need. He's going to provide you the way to, to, to endure that thorn and to grow through it. 2 Peter 1, 3 says that God provides for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so he's going to do that. So if God chooses not to remove the thorn, if he chooses to give it to us, and he chooses not to remove it, then he's going to give us the strength to endure it, and he's going to use it to improve you in whatever area it needs to be. With Paul, it was to keep him humble. So then he says, after God answers him, he says, you know what? We have strength out of weakness, verse 10. He says, when I am weak, then I am strong. How in the world can that be, beloved? 
You know, it's, it's God who specializes in using weak things for his glory. He, he mentions this, Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, right? But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God uses the weak. Hebrews 11, 33 and 34, talking about those men and women of faith that, that, um, that really suffered for God and was willing to give their life to remain faithful to God, who by, he, he, he starts by uh, adding here, after naming names, he, he names it, you know, it's just too many to talk about, who by faith conquered kingdom, perform acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. You think, ooh, that's good stuff. That's strength right there, isn't it? Quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. But listen to this, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Brethren, God uses those weak things. When God uses someone who is inadequate, who is weak, then it brings glory to God. We understand that, right? The, the one good example I think that would come to all of our minds is David and Goliath. What if Saul had slain the giant? King Saul. The Bible describes King Saul as being head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. So he wasn't a little dude himself. And so if he'd have, if he'd have killed Goliath, everybody would have been impressed. But when a little teenager goes out there and faces the giant with nothing but a slingshot, then who gets the glory? God did. And, so, and, and in fact, even the enemies recognized that and admitted that. And so then by, uh, that, that's the way God works through people, brothers and sisters. We're in football season right now. You know what? If a 240, 250-pound professional football player, player goes out and, and he kicks a 50-yard field goal, we go, hey, that's impressive. That's great. But if some 130-pound third-string player who's hardly ever kicked the ball, went out there and did the same thing. <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> oh. Kind of like how we're impressed when the Florida Gators win one. I'm sorry, Chris, I had to do I know, I repent. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> no, brother, here's the good news, though. This is the good news. God is able and willing to use us even in our weaknesses. You know, we mistakenly assume that God can only use the strong, those who have it all together, you know. And, and there are some that we would look at. I looked at the Apostle Paul that way, you know. And, but that's not the case. You often hear people say, Brother Green, you, I'm just too weak. I, I have too many problems, and, 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 and I just can't serve God effectively because of all of those weaknesses. Brethren, it's during these times, according to our Bibles, our Scripture here, that you are able to serve God the best. Don't let your shortcomings and your trials stand in the way of serving God. Don't do that. Paul didn't, and we shouldn't and must not either. Serve in spite of your thorn, in spite of your weaknesses, and God will make your efforts prosper. That's when it gets good, see, because God can use someone who is what I call weak but willing, right? God can use the weak but willing, brothers and sisters. You know who he doesn't use? He refuses to use the strong but unwilling. Somebody can be one of that five-talented man the Bible talks about. Somebody can have all the ability and talent and charm and all those things, that kind of like Chuck Lawler, you know? I mean, just got it all together. And, and somebody can be like that, but if they're not willing, if they don't have a servant's heart and they're not willing to serve the Lord, God's not going to use that person. But God will take a willing individual who has weaknesses 
and is humble and says, God, would you? I pray this constantly, brother. I ask God to use me in spite of my weaknesses and my shortcomings and my human flesh. Let's face the fact. We're all weak. We all fall short. The Bible says that. Yet God chose to spread the gospel through these weak, frail, earthen vessels, as he refers to us as. Beloved, with the exception of Jesus Christ, of course, weak, inadequate human beings are mostly who God works through. Have you ever noticed that? Read the people in the Old Testament and the New that God works through. They have their weaknesses. So then, what should our attitude towards our thorns be? Should it be resentment, as we often get? You know, God, I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this to me? I'm trying to serve you. Why, why are you giving me this, this horrible thorn? Why won't you answer my prayer? Why won't you take it away? Is it anger? Is that how we, that's how we do respond sometimes in our human condition? No, verse 10, brothers and sisters, that's the key, which is sacrificial contentment. Paul says, okay, if God gave me the thorn, if he don't want to take it away, if he says his I will gladly do that. Philippians 4, 11, and 12. He's talking about sacrificial contentment. I didn't put this down, brethren, so it's, it's not the people in the sound room fault. But let me read this to you, okay? Philippians 4, 11, and 12. Paul in prison says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am at. Sacrificial contentment. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ or him who strengthens me. So, brethren, he, sacrificial contentment, okay? It's easy to be content when everything's great. That's why, the, that's why it's a sacrificial contentment. And so that's what we have to learn to do. James 1, 2 tells us that, right? <clears throat> Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And he goes on to explain why. Because God uses those trials, God uses those thorns to strengthen us, to, in, to help us be better Christians. And so Paul's glad, attitude was, I will gladly endure any hardship for the sake of the Christ and for his gospel. And if we would develop that attitude, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> we would complain less and work harder. And instead of giving up, we'd endure and persevere. Instead of having a pity party, we would allow God to use us, okay? And so James says, count it all joy, brethren, when you do that. Because I'm going to make you a whole lot stronger. It is an attitude of trust and faith and hope. It's realizing that God will use it for something good. As Romans 8, 28 says, he's going to work everything out for our good. So our attitude. Our attitude should be one of perseverance and endurance, brothers and sisters. We keep serving God, realizing, hey, you know what? And, and maybe we should commit this to memory. His grace is sufficient for me. This passage is one of great hope, brethren. It, it, it does cause me some consternation sometimes from a human standpoint because it don't make sense. How can you be strong when you're weak and all these things? You know, and, and you've got to kind of flesh it out and look at it in its context. But it's one of great hope because it reassures us that even though we are weak and inadequate and have all these problems as human beings, God can still and does still do great things through 
his weak, inadequate people who are willing for him to, to, are willing to be used by him. So let me ask tonight, brethren, and, and you know, with everything that's been going on during 2020, it's easy to maybe feel this way. Maybe you feel like you fall short. Maybe you feel like you're weak, you're frustrated, you're burdened down. You think, man, there's so much has happened this year. This has just been one of them years where, as, as James says, all them various trials, trials of different kinds, and hit us all at once. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to take heart because you give yourself to God, and he's going to take your messed up life and make it into something beautiful and useful in his kingdom. And then we need to be reminded when God talks about his grace and it being sufficient, Christ had to endure the worst kind of thorn in the flesh on our behalf when he went to that cross. I can hardly think of a greater thorn than that. And let me tell you, you know what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, brethren? His fleshly side, he prayed like Paul that God would take that thorn away from him. That if there was any other way, he'd let that cup pass from him. But by the end of the prayer, thank God, of course, he, he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And <clears throat> so he went ahead and <clears throat> endured his earthly thorn, the agony and the pain of the cross. And yet, beloved, he was willing to do it, not on his own behalf, but so you and I could be saved. My goodness. I want to get where Paul was. I really do. I, I can't swear to you I'm that way now. I hope I am. I pray that I am. I pray that if something that I would consider just a horrible, horrible thing in my life, you know, and, and, that, and that I could pray to God about, as we naturally would do, as Paul did, as Jesus did, that God would take that thorn away. And if God's answer to me was, no, I gave it to you for a reason. I'm not going to take it away, and I'm going to use it for your benefit and I'm going to use your weaknesses for my glory. I hope when he says my grace is sufficient for you that I can respond, and I hope all of us can respond fine, then I will most gladly suffer all those things that I need to suffer in order for God to use this earthen vessel for his glory. Do we truly Believe, brethren, that God's grace is sufficient for us. Let's become more like that. You need to respond to the Lord's invitation. We always offer it now as we stand and sing.